Support for this show comes from SoFi Invest. Alternative investments are now available on SoFi. Unlock the potential to build and protect your wealth with alts including real estate, venture capital, pre-IPO unicorns, and more at SoFi.com WSJ. Active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Alternative funds have unique risks, including the risk of loss, may charge high fees, can be illiquid, and may not be suitable for all investors. Prior to investing in any fund, carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and important information contained in a fund's prospectus. I think my morning routine is pretty standard and pretty hectic. Wake up, shower, brush my teeth, get some business done, feed my cats, brew some coffee, make some breakfast, clean up a bit, and I'm out the door to catch the train. I do this almost every day, and with every shower, flush, and dish scrubbed, wastewater, full of all this stuff, goes down into the sewer. And along with all my DNA, food scraps, and soap suds, that wastewater carries signs of disease too. Wastewater monitoring isn't new, but during the COVID-19 pandemic, it became a vital tool for detecting the virus in communities, and even helped forecast some outbreaks. Since then, I mean, we have continued to do a lot of work looking at COVID, measuring the SARS-CoV-2 virus, looking at specific variants at a population level by making these measurements from wastewater. Dr. Marlene Wolf is an environmental microbiologist, engineer, and epidemiologist at Emory University in Atlanta. She's also one of the head researchers at Wastewater Scan, a group pushing to use municipal wastewater systems to monitor diseases on a national scale. It's already working with systems in 28 states. We were pushed to do this by the need that presented itself during the pandemic. But what has grown out of it is the opportunity to sort of revolutionize the way that we do our infectious disease surveillance. From The Wall Street Journal, this is the future of everything. I'm Danny Lewis. Today, we're bringing you my conversation with Dr. Marlene Wolf about how tracking what goes down our drains could help keep us healthy. That's after the break. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Dr. Marlene Wolf, welcome to the Future of Everything. Thank you for having me. What makes wastewater a good tool for tracking diseases? So if you go to the toilet, I think we all understand that goes down to the sewer. But also when you shower, when you use the sink, all of these different drains go down to the sewer. And so that means when you're sick, viruses, bacteria, et cetera, replicate in your body. And they're going to come out of you in ways that help them transmit themselves to another person. What we can tell is what the amount is of that particular pathogen that we're measuring over time. And that tells us 
our cases going up, our cases going down, our cases at a higher level than they were at a previous time. And so it can really help guide public health response and individual decision making when we know sort of what is our weather report for a community level amount of a disease that's circulating. What exactly is it that you're looking for in wastewater when it comes to these pathogens? What are some of the markers that you're looking for? So it's very much like when you get a COVID PCR test, where we're looking at some specific piece of the genetic material of that virus so we can tell this came from SARS-CoV-2. And we also look at specific variants. We'll look at a section of the genome of the virus that is changed in a specific variant to help indicate to us that variant of COVID is what we're seeing in the wastewater. Can you walk me through the process of what it's like, you know, getting and then testing these samples? Like, what's the play-by-play for how this happens? So for our program, we'll work with a treatment plant. They'll send us samples three times a week. At our lab, we will take that sample and spin down the solids so we get like a really thick little sample of solids. It's about a pea-sized amount. And then we will add some solution to that and we shake it up really hard so that it all gets kind of broken up. Then we'll extract that RNA and DNA and then we'll do that PCR test to look for all of the different viruses that we might want to measure. Right now, we have seven different viruses that we're testing for on every single sample. And if we want to add in new things in the future, we can use that same sample to add in that new test and get new data. Right. And it's funny talking with you because I feel like the word solids is, uh, you know, doing a lot of heavy lifting in talking about this subject. So you test these solids from the wastewater. And what do the numbers that you're getting back actually tell us? Yeah, so what's different from the PCR tests that you do at your doctor to figure out if you have COVID or not is that it gives us information about what is the actual amount of the virus that is in that sample. And what we'll do is we'll look at that concentration over time. Is that number going up? Is that number going down? Is that number staying steady? And what we've seen repeatedly is that concentration is directly related to the number of cases that are in the community. So this technique was first used in the 1940s to detect viral pathogens like polio, like you mentioned, then things in your gut like norovirus. And since then, it's been tweaked to track COVID and MPOX. Are there other diseases you're eyeing for future tracking to be integrated into this in the future? Absolutely. I think we've become much more creative about what could be monitored by wastewater. Those diseases that were originally monitored back at the beginning, those are really diseases that infect you in your GI system, in your gut. And so it's not that much of like a leap of logic to see, oh, that's going to be in the wastewater and we could measure it there. SARS-CoV-2 being a primarily respiratory virus was not something that I would initially have thought would be a good candidate for wastewater monitoring. But we had really early reports showing there's high levels of the virus that are shed in feces. And we started to look and see, are there other respiratory viruses that we could monitor? Why not think a little bit broader? We're also monitoring human metanumavirus, MPOX, a totally different kind of virus. And um, we are continuing to do work with public health and others to help figure out, you know, what are diseases that are likely to end up in the wastewater or maybe we don't have very good clinical data. And so having this population level measurement would be really helpful. Yeah. Are there any examples of 
viruses you're looking at to see if they do show up in the wastewater? We have a long list. <laughs> we have a list of about 12 to 20 viruses right now that we're currently making plans to do studies to confirm that what we're seeing in the wastewater matches up with what we're seeing in the community. CDC has also named a number of priorities that they have in terms of adding new targets into systems like this. Some of those are things that we're already doing, like influenza and RSV. Some of those are a little different, like looking at markers of antimicrobial resistance or Candida auris, which is a hospital-acquired infection. Um, having influenza data this past year was really helpful. Um, for example, what we saw here in Georgia in the very first report for flu season that CDC put out, the state was already like a deep red color of very high influenza-like illness activity. And we had seen through our data and wastewater scan several weeks before that, that concentrations were starting to go up. And so having seen that data, I actually got my flu shot early because I knew that flu season was starting and that I was going to need to be protected because the disease was circulating in the community earlier than would have normally been expected. So it influenced my behavior in that way. And so we think about these, you know, outbreak diseases that we deal with every year, but we need to know something about the timing and dynamics of it to really have good individual and public health responses. So the water that goes down the drain can give public health officials valuable information about disease in our communities. But how could that translate to the kinds of warnings we get on our phones? Stay with us. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. So could monitoring wastewater help identify emerging diseases and alert public health authorities before we have another pandemic on our hands? Theoretically, you know, we can look at the sequences of these viruses in wastewater and you might be able to say, here's something that looks a little different and that change is maybe something we should be concerned about. In practice, that's very complicated because what is in wastewater is such a complex mixture of inputs. And so what we tend to do is focus on something that we know is of clinical or public health concern. There could be approaches that are less targeted, but what we want to make sure is that what we're detecting is actually related to a significant clinical or public health impact. And that can be difficult to tell from the genome alone. And if we look at COVID as an example, right, very, very early, within a few weeks of the outbreak being identified, there's some novel disease outbreak happening, we had full sequences of the genome that were available. So there were PCR tests that were developed. The tools for that were available right away. And had we had a, this in place to monitor wastewater, we could have introduced that test, knowing exactly what we were looking for before, you know, the virus had ever really even entered the United States. So we can be very rapid. There is potential for more work to be done in the future in a more exploratory way, but the science is really still very much under development for that. So 
I have a weather app on my phone. You know, I can see a rainstorm coming in. Could this be used to make something like a national weather service for diseases? That's exactly what we envision. You can look at the weather. You can look at the pollen count on your phone, right? And you have some sense of, oh, yeah, I'm having bad allergies today because the pollen count is really high. And you can imagine the exact same kind of use of this data. And that's already how I use it in my personal life, right? You know, I look at our data and I say, wow, influenza season is starting. I'm going to make sure I go and get my flu shot. But then also things like RSV is really dangerous for small babies. And so if I had an infant, I might look at the RSV forecast, so to speak, before I decide whether I'm going to allow visitors or whether I'm going to ask them to wear masks when they come to visit. And so there are a lot of ways, you know, public health can use this information to provide good messages to people, to provide resources, to, to help people protect their health. But there are also a lot of ways that we as individuals can use this information to help us guide our personal practices, be aware of what diseases are sort of currently a concern in our communities, and then assess risk ourselves and make personal decisions based on the data. But this is also health data compared to weather data. Could information from wastewater really be translated that simply, or is there more of a nuance to it? You know, it really is analogous in a lot of ways to what we see with air quality data. You know, we're going to look at high, medium, low levels of the air quality data and make decisions about what activity. Maybe you're not going to go for a run if it's a really bad air quality day, right? And same thing, like I might wear my mask in the grocery store if it's a really high SARS-CoV-2 level day and COVID appears to be surging in my community. So to that extent, I think that the information that we can get from this is quite straightforward and we can get a lot of good information about what's going on and then make our own decisions about how to respond. What is a little bit more complicated is defining what is high, what is medium, what is low, and what is sort of the potential risk that's associated with that. It might be different for different people. Someone who's immunocompromised might make a different decision about what is a high level for them that is going to make them concerned versus someone who's not. That is a little bit complicated, and it's also specific to each disease that we're monitoring. We're doing a lot of work in that space right now to help kind of translate that information and make this more and more easily digestible to people so that it really can be used as that kind of weather service type approach. So the word surveillance can have some unsavory connotations to it. So let's talk about that. What do you say to people who might have privacy concerns about this kind of tool being used? And what do you say to people who might question why we need to monitor sewage and wastewater like this at all? I think it's a really important question, and we take really seriously making sure that we're operating in a way that's responsible and useful. Surveillance tends to be a sort of public health buzzword. Um, We're monitoring the wastewater to see what's in it rather than surveilling individual people, right? So for treatment plants to join our program, they have at least 10,000 people in the population that they serve. And so I think that it really can be very supportive of privacy concerns when it comes to looking at infectious disease data. But it's important that we're always very carefully considering, you know, what the community's response is to these 
these programs that we're targeting our monitoring at a level that people are comfortable with and where it is truly anonymous and just keeping these concerns in mind at all times. So let's look a decade down the line and let's say we have this constant data about what diseases are in our wastewater. What would that mean for public health? What would that change? We can get some really great new information about the ways that disease is circulating in the community, what the levels are over time, what the different kind of variants of some of these different viruses are that are circulating. And so all of that information, I think, is really supportive to helping us design better interventions and better just understand how disease dynamics in a community work. So I hope that as we have more and more of this data to work with, we'll be able to do more really robust epidemiological studies to better understand some of these viruses that we can develop better tools to intervene because it's much easier easier to test one sample from a whole community than it is to go and swab everyone's noses. Dr. Marlene Wolf is an assistant professor at Emory University and co-principal investigator for Wastewater Scan. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. The Future of Everything is a production of The Wall Street Journal. Stephanie Ilgenfritz is the editorial director of The Future of Everything. This episode was produced by Ariana Asparu. Our fact checker is Aparna Nathan. Jessica Fenton and Michael Laval are our sound designers. Scott Salloway is our supervising producer. Editorial support was provided by Falana Patterson. Like the show? Tell your friends. And leave us a five-star review on your favorite platform. I'm Danny Lewis. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Charles Schwab. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. But what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how they may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise.